Mythos New York Nick podcast, Andre Galliber was a big win. Any way you slice it, big win. I don't care who's injured. I don't care what the situations, the situation is for Philadelphia. The Knicks need to win this game on the road. Philly's right there with them in the standings. Everyone knows Embiid is not there. They have their own injury issues. It doesn't matter. I keep telling you. There are no test games. There's no test games. There's no test games anymore. It's done. You just need to win games. It doesn't matter. And the Knicks came through. I told you Jalen wasn't going to have a good game. I knew it. It was no surprise to me. I just felt like there's too many things going on. Too many things going on on All-Star Weekend for him to come out of All-Star Weekend red hot and crisp and sharp. You know, he, he's been in Indianapolis screwing off for three, four days now. Yeah, he came back, you know, they had practices, but whatever. Uh, hopefully he can find his stride this next game against Boston. Obviously a tough game. The Knicks are not at full strength. Boston is. It's a tough game. He's at the Garden. You want to at least keep it close at the end and see what happens. Boston sometimes falls apart at the end of the game. Uh, let's see what happens with that, you know. You know, uh, the Knicks had to find secondary offensive players uh, with Drew Holiday and Derek White on Boston. It's going to be hard for Jalen to get off. And Jalen struggled against Philadelphia, but I think he struggled even though Oubre played him well. I don't, I don't think he struggled because of their defense. I think he struggled because he was out of rhythm. He wasn't sharp. They weren't, you know, they weren't calling a lot of, uh, weren't giving a lot, giving him a lot of the foul calls that he's accustomed to. But playing Boston, eh, a lot of other guys are gonna have to step up offensively. They're not gonna let Jalen get off. If Jalen cooks, Drew Holiday and Derek White, boy, and every time Jalen doesn't play well, you see the same nonsense. Oh, he's gonna struggle against length, and and you can, if you, uh, to me. There's a litmus test for whether or not somebody's intellectually honest. And that's one of them. Another recent one was ignoring the fact that the Knicks had injuries and, and uh, were losing games because of it. Anybody who's doing that, they're not being intellectually honest. Because I, I, I find it hard to believe that anybody's that stupid. I know that there are people who are really that stupid, but it's hard for me to believe that there are that many people that are that stupid. There's no way you should have expected them to win. Now, they could have won one or two of those games, but there's no way you should have expected them to win with all of those injuries. It's not intellectually honest, and it's not intellectually honest to watch Jalen Cook length nine times out of ten, and then when that tenth time, time comes, oh, it's the length. That's the reason why he struggled. It's ridiculous. He's cooking everybody. He's a, he's allowed to have a bad game, and you knew, you knew he wasn't sharp because he didn't take any threes. He had one catch and shoot three in the corner. He didn't take any threes. He might be battling an injury. He might just be a little out of sorts. Hopefully, it's not an injury because you could, you know, it's gonna be lights out if it is. But give the Knicks credit for this win once again. Precious to Chua. Goodness gracious, this man has been so awesome. He has been so awesome, man. You you watch Philadelphia and the Knicks. First of all, it, my my brain is all over the place because there's so much to talk about with this game. One of my 
pet peeves with Tibbs is I am concerned just in general if Tibbs will use all of the tools in his toolbox when it comes down to it. I feel like Tibbs gets married to guys and I don't blame him. He has good reason to be married to those guys. But there comes a point when maybe in that particular game that guy's not playing well or, you know, it's just strategically, it's not the right matchups. It just feels like too often Tibbs has just gone down with the ship. And as much as you, as much as I'm a big supporter of Josh Hart, I felt like that was the case with Josh Hart in the Miami series last year. He wasn't hitting his shot. They were leaving him open. You had options and Grimes to to throw him in there and not lose anything defensively. He he didn't do it. Now Grimes was not sharp in the series, no question. But they weren't going to leave Grimes open like they left Hart open. You know, it just there's certain spots you could have thrown him in there. But I get it. You know, Tibbs is going to go with he's going to go down with the ship if he knows a guy. He figures the guy's going to make more plays then he's going to lose for them. I understand that, but I feel like and I fear that there are substitutions that he should make that he won't make when it comes to certain guys, right? Uh, What you saw was Philly completely changed strategies in the second half of this game after bogey, once again, another talking point for this game. Uh, they completely changed their, their strategy in the second half of the game when Bogey lit them up for 19. I think it was 19 in the first half. They didn't miss a three, five for five, or six for six, one to two in the first half. Completely changed their strategy, went small, and they got them back in the game. They were down 26 points. Now, for me, I see a 26-point lead in the first half, and I'm just mildly, mildly impressed. That's it. Because I know that that can disappear in a, in, in a, a blink of an eye. And most of that lead, I shouldn't say most, but that lead was back down to 20 quick. Well, a 20-point lead with a whole half to go is nothing. It's nothing. And I hear people all the time say, oh, back in the day, you know, a 20-point lead in the game felt like it was over. I never felt like the game was over. I had seen plenty enough comebacks, even when I was a kid, to believe that a 20-point lead was going to hold for an entire half. So I everybody, I know Mike Green loves, Mike Green loves to remind you how much the lead was lost, how much of the lead was lost like every two seconds. He will repeat it 30,000 times how you lost that lead. He will not let you forget it. It drives me nuts. But these leads are not safe. First half leads of 20 points is not safe. That's not safe. Oh, it only happened once this year. Well, it happened. Okay, so... It, if it happened once, I don't care. It can happen again. I don't get comfortable with first half 20-point leads. So I knew Philly was going to make a run. You saw Kyle, Kyle Lowry, once again, another talking point in this game. Kyle Lowry was a, a factor. It seems to me like he's a factor every time he plays the Knicks. I thought it was comical that people actually disrespected Kyle Lowry's uh contributions to the heat in the playoffs last year it's to me it's it's really nuts that you can watch those series and not see how important he was so Kyle came out and he gave the Knicks a hard time he really looked like he made every big play uh and but then he got hurt knocked out got got knocked out of the game for a little while came back but they went completely small 
and the Knicks were kind of big with Precious and, and Hartenstein, even though Hartenstein didn't play a ton of minutes. Uh, Sims was getting in the game too. They played they played pretty big to start the third quarter. And at some point, and Alec Brooks came in the game and he wet the bed. And at some point, they went to Deuce McBride to match the speed and quickness that Philadelphia was playing with. And Deuce completely shut down Maxie, who was off the charts in this game. Off the charts. I told you I was a little bit concerned about Maxie in this game with no OG because OG really gave him a hard time. But then Deuce, he started locking him up. And I think I saw a graphic uh, or I should say a stat on Twitter that Maxie has not scored on Deuce all year. And so basically in two games, Maxie has not put any points on the board while Deuce is guarding him. The fact that they went to Deuce, went away from Alec, who clearly is out of sorts, missed two free throws, and he missed only 14 on the season. He's clearly out of sorts. They went to Deuce. You thought Deuce would be completely out of the rotation and he wouldn't be getting any minutes the more acclimated Alec Burks would get. But nah, he went to Deuce because Deuce seemed like the best matchup for the situation. And the fact that he went small to match Philadelphia and Philadelphia went on that nasty run, got the game back down to six or seven and did not beat his head against the wall trying to, you know, play his the guys he normally plays and stick to the rotation he made a substitution to match what Nick Nurse was doing. And to me, it was a good sign that maybe he'll do that going forward and maybe even in the playoffs where the rotation is going to get a little bit more strict, you would think. So the fact that he did that meant a lot to me. It showed me a lot because I felt like he was going to go down with the ship on Alec Burks who was not playing well. In the, or tighten the rotation and, and put Hartenstein back in the game with Precious and try to outbig him. And maybe that would have worked, frankly, because there were there were some missed shots from the Knicks that I felt like if they had Hartenstein in there, you'd have got those offensive rebounds. No disrespect to Precious. It's just when you have I Heart and Hart in the game, there's a lot of pressure being put on those on those rebounds. You know, Hartenstein is bigger than Precious. Precious is doing yeoman's work down there. Hartenstein is bigger than him and stronger than him. But it worked out for the best because Hartenstein actually didn't play well in the game. But the fact that Deuce came back in that game, he knew Deuce would play Maxie well. He matched this small lineup with Philadelphia to get this Knicks to victory. It was promising to me going forward. That was a big takeaway for me, for me in this game. Hartenstein was looking forward to his return. I start, I see now on Twitter, I, hey, it seems like more and more people seemingly are seeing that Hartenstein, the missing, missing Hartenstein was more significant than most people gave it credit for. But then Hartenstein comes in this game and he only plays 11 minutes in the game, like five minutes in the, in the second half, six minutes in the first or something or vice versa. And and while I'm watching the game and I'm seeing Philadelphia come back, I'm like, yo, this is like a, a Hartenstein-less game, right? Even though he's playing, he's not really playing, and I can see it hurting the team. Listen, there's more than one way to, to skin a cat. You can argue that a healthy Hartenstein keeps Philadelphia from coming back in that game. 
And you can also argue that going small was equally effective against, or could be, what we should say, we shouldn't say could be because it was. But there's more than one one way to skin a cat. You can you can we could have won the game either way. I feel like, and I think that's the most promising aspect of the game is that the Knicks, when they're healthy, will have a deep roster with a lot of tools and a lot of versatility. And if Tibbs is willing to use it, it's going to be to me the sky's the limit. Obviously, you're going to swing and miss sometimes. You're going to make the wrong call, like any coach would. But the fact that he's willing to make the move, pull the trigger, to me, is just promising. And I know I'm repeating myself here, but it means a lot to me going forward because I feel like that's the outside of injury, that's the biggest concern for me is that the Knicks have all of this depth and all of these weapons, but what point, what difference would it make if they're not being used, right? If you go down the ship with somebody who's not playing well, go down with the ship. And so Hartenstein, his minutes were capped in this game, but the purpose, uh, according to Hartenstein's comments after the game, was to start ramping up, right? So he was supposed to play 20 minutes, I believe, tonight, so that, you know, they could start building up his minutes every game. So him only playing 11 minutes, he said after the game was very frustrating to him, whatever. You know, I saw that Mark Berman, who's like a dog whistle media guy, tried to make a big deal out of that. I don't make how are you going to make a big deal out of a player who come who was coming off an injury, wanting to play more minutes and make a big deal out of players playing too many minutes. It's like you can't you can't be you can't be doing both. Don't be that person. All right. He whatever reason he didn't want to play hard and sign more minutes. You know, he, he had something going. We talked about playing small. We talked about Precious playing well. He didn't want to give him more minutes. Okay, they got the win. Move on. Hardenstein says a little frustrated. Okay, players want to play. Remember that when you're complaining about a guy playing 35, 40 minutes. Remember that. Right? It can't be perfect. Can't be perfect every night. But the Knicks are going to pay the price for that against Boston because. You're not going to go from 11 minutes to 25 minutes, which is what you might need against Boston. Well, who knows, though? With Sims and Precious, they might have enough depth to to play Boston one night, stay in the game, keep it close. And Hartenstein might not, just like in Philadelphia, he might not be needed for much more than 15, 20 minutes. I just know not having the option of having Hartenstein in there if you start giving up too many points in the paint, becomes a problem. And Philadelphia actually got a ton of points in the paint in this game last night. But that was more because they went small and, you know, they were spread five out. It gets harder to rotate to the rim when you're at the three-point line. But Hardenstein for 15, 15 minutes, and it might be good enough. It might be good enough to keep you in a game against Boston, but having no Hartenstein at all, listen, I just don't think that's it's not a winning formula for this team. Uh, I don't think they're capable of outscoring people with the lineups that they have right now. They have to, they have to uh, make their bonus defensively. So you need whatever you can get out of Hartenstein. 
So that's one thing to look for in this Boston game. But once again, Precious Achua just playing, just playing awesome, man. Just playing like a beast down there. Just playing like an absolute beast down there. And I don't want to make this about Obi Toppin. I really don't. But you got to address what you're seeing on Twitter. You know, people saying Precious Achua is what everyone wanted Obi Toppin to be. There's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. This guy's getting double-doubles. You understand? This guy's getting 18 and 10, 18 and 11 plus, plus, efficiently. With the occasional outside shot. You know, you'd like to see him make more free throws. He doesn't have a terrible free throw form. I don't see why he can't go in a little bit more often than it does. But his versatility defensively, he's out there guarding everybody. He's guarding Maxi. Listen, just because he gets scored on by a guy every now and then doesn't mean he's not doing an excellent job. He's doing an excellent job. Give him, just give him credit, man. And listen, when the trade was made, I told you, I, I've been, I told you early on, I'm definitely on record. One of the Knicks' needs, when we talked about them needing a wing player at nausea, but they needed a third string center who can play backup power forward and small ball five to stretch the floor. I said it a thousand times. A thousand times earlier in the season. Now I, I think I edited that a little bit because I don't I wasn't sure if Tibbs was gonna use a stretch five. You know, when before Precious got here or when Precious got here, I wasn't sure if he was gonna let him shoot the threes. And he and he does. And he can't shoot a lot of them, but he lets him shoot it. You know, uh, Precious, uh, in theory, could be that small ball five, but he's not shooting great from three, so I didn't think he was going to get that opportunity. But the fact that he's out there and can put the ball on the on the floor and get to the front of the rim or make a pass or two, you know, and, and also be versatile defensively and switch out on guards, they don't even hesitate to let him switch out there. It makes them an elite defensive team. It really does. And really, if Hartenstein gets up to speed, and he's clearly not right now, it makes him an elite defensive team to be able to have a guy who's 6'9 out there who can switch out on guards and make it hard for them and play big in the paint. It's just He's just been awesome. And when the trade was made, you thought, okay, you know, the Knicks had injuries at the center position. Now, obviously, they still do, with Mitch still being out. So you thought, okay, this this will help, you know. Like a stopgap until Mitch comes back. He's been so much more than that with all these other injuries. So much more than that. And I keep bringing it up. What is the rotation going to be when everyone is healthy? How do you play Precious Achua? If you think that he's not playing Precious Achua, you are out of your mind. You want to know how he's, you want to know why I know he's playing Precious? Bogdanovich should have should have started at power forward in this game. The first couple games he got here, you don't want to start him. Makes perfect sense. You get all-star break practices. You don't start Bogdanovich. You start two bigs who are not great offensive options, even though Precious is putting points on the board. God bless him. You're not looking at it because he's he's not a floor spacer necessarily. You're not looking at a lineup with Hartenstein and Precious and thinking, okay, we can, you know, make things easy for our offensive players, namely Jalen Brunson. You're not thinking along those lines. You're thinking 
okay, we might have a little bit of a spacing issue. You know, they might not guard pressures out there. Let's go with this 20-point scorer who's ultra-efficient <laughs> at power forward and see what happens, right? And let pressures come off the bench. Now, I told you before the All-Star break, uh, was it before the All-Star break or before this game? I told you that Bogey should have started. I think it was the Houston game. I said Bogey should have started, should start, but he's not going to. <laughs> he's going to start Precious. Now, coming out of the break, I don't think I discussed it, but I really thought that there was a chance that Bogey would start coming out of the break. The fact that he didn't tells you that there's no way that Precious is not going to be in the rotation. There's just no way. Because everything kind of points to Bogdanovich playing with the starters. Yeah, they need offensive punch with the second unit, but they also need to space the floor with the starters to make things easier for Jalen. So it, it made perfect sense to start him. And I'm not saying it was a wrong call not to, uh, but to start two bigs and to have your spacing suffer as a result, just to go straight defense, not the natural decision there. Yes, it's on brand for Tibbs, but not the natural decision. Why not start this guy you just got? This is why you got him. But he started Precious. And he played big minutes. Kept hard on the bench. When he should have had another eight, nine minutes in the game. All because of Precious and obviously Sims. But mostly Precious. He's not taking Precious out of this rotation. I promise you he's not. Precious is going to play. But how? And I've seen people try to run this rotation down. And they say, well, Deuce is not going to be rotated. It's going to be a nine-man rotation. And sometimes, some people say, oh, no, he's going to go 10, which he probably should. But then people say, and rightfully so, well, in the playoffs, you shorten the rotation. So what's it going to be? How's it going to go? What are you going to do? Well, the first thing that you think is that they're going to take Deuce out of the rotation. But what I tried to explain to someone on Twitter is that doesn't solve the problem. That If you... If you think it's going to be a nine-man rotation, okay. You take Deuce out, and it's a nine-man rotation. All right? But that's not the issue. The issue is there are too many players playing at positions where there's not that many minutes. A healthy Randall, 30, 35 minutes. I'm easily 35 minutes in the playoffs, so he's healthy. You would think an easy 35 minutes for the playoffs 38 40 if we're going chalk. So, where does Bogdanovich, how, how many minutes you give him Bogdanovich there? You say, well, at small forward, well, that's OG. If if Randall's playing 35, 38 minutes, would you, what the hell do you think OG's going to do? And then Josh plays some small forward too. So, where's Bogey's minutes going to be? Oh, by the way, Precious is most effective, effective defensively at the power forward position. What are we. What's it going to be? How's it going to go? How's it going to go? If I, and obviously this is with, you know, assuming Mitch is going to be back healthy. Right? Because if Mitch is going to be back healthy, you're not going to see Precious at center. You're going to see Hartenstein and Mitch at center. They're not going to play three centers. Not unless they're, they're losing or they're, you know, throwing it up against the wall. He's going to play back a power forward. <laughs> And he's not going to play that many minutes if that's the case. 
You should, because defensively he changes the game. And one thing that I think is the case with Precious, because Precious has been in the league for a little bit, right? So how come you haven't seen more of this from him? Is that he has not been counted on the way the Knicks are counting on him, and he has not played the minutes that the Knicks are playing him. And he's playing insane amount of minutes. Right, and I'm not the minutes police, so it's just a statement of fact, and it's because of the injuries. And, and if you look out there, it don't even look like Precious is breathing hard. It don't even look like he's breathing hard. He's eating those minutes, right? So to me, what's what's the correlation between his great play just because he came to the Knicks? Like just because he's wearing a Knicks jersey? I think it's because I think it's because He's playing more minutes, and it's allowing him to get himself into the game more and to, and to play more instinctively and, and play more aggressively. I think in short minutes, maybe, and this is guesswork, I think maybe in short minutes he's just not completely there. So if Tibbs is, and, and listen, there's nothing, nothing you can do. It's, it's, you know, what can you do? But maybe you don't play Randall 38 minutes. I don't know. It's crazy. Maybe you play 34, 33. And, and blame it on the injury. <laughs> so you can get some extra defensive minutes out of Precious. Because it's not hurting you. It doesn't mean that Precious is better than Randall. I'm seeing people saying this. Listen, there's a conversation to be had about Precious and what he's bringing you. Versus what Randall can sometimes do. Right? Because if you're scoring, then you, you'd rather have Precious's defense than Randall's defense. If you need help scoring, then obviously you want Randall in there. But Randall's not giving you the defense as Precious is giving you. He's just not. And in the playoffs, that matters. So maybe you don't beat Randall against up, uh, you know, in the head with 38 minutes. Put Precious in there. Roll the dice. Put him in there. But what does that do with Bogdanovich? That means Bogdanovich is relegated to playing backup small forward, which means he doesn't get that many minutes. And it also means that Hart doesn't get any backup small forward minutes. That means he doesn't get to play with Devo. He doesn't get, you know, he doesn't, you know, the, the, the Brunson Devo Hart lineup is is gone. And that's been the life, one of the lifebloods of the, of the team all year long. Hart, you, you want Hart on the floor. I just don't listen. I feel like I feel like there's no right answer. But Tibbs needs to figure out what the right answer is. <laughs> or, or I should say Tibbs needs to figure out what the wrong answers are before the playoffs. All right. Everybody knows you gotta get back healthy. It doesn't make sense to keep saying it over and over. But Tibbs needs to figure out what the wrong answers are before the playoffs. Because it's like a lock and a key. You gotta find the right mix there. You gotta find the right mix. And you can't you can't have certain guys sit just so other guys can play. And the other elephant in the room is Mitchell Robinson. He's gonna come back, he's gonna be out of shape, he might not be sharp and, and offensively, he hurts the team offensively. I'm Randall's a less effective offensive player when Mitch is on the floor. And it's like everybody keeps talking about how great the defense is going to be when Mitch gets there. And I'm like, yes, I get I get it. And I'm not hating on Mitch. I'm just saying, Hartenstein is great defensively too. 
He's not quite as good, but you're not losing anything offensively, and you saw how well they played. So why would you, when when OG was there and everybody else was healthy, and that was before the trade, so why would you break that up? It wasn't like they were playing like that when Mitch was there. You see the way Precious is playing. You see the way Hardenstein is playing. You say, well, Mitch was playing great, too. He was playing great on one side of the ball. And he was playing, he was getting, uh, you know, a number of offensive rebounds. But those offensive rebounds were getting gotten by these guys, too. So, you know, you have to maybe, again, use the tools in your toolbox. There might be a game or games or a series where you need more Mitch. For example, Boston, Przingis lights Mitch up. He lights him up. So don't beat your head against the wall trying to play Mitch against Brazingas, but he keeps lighting them up. But you also can't bench him in the series. Like, it's... I am... I might have a little bit of anxiety over it. I might. It might be a little bit of anxiety over what this is going to be because you can easily get it wrong, and I don't necessarily have the right answer. And like I said, I don't think there is one right answer. I think it's going to... I think it's going to be different night to night for various reasons, matchups, who's hot, who's not. And I, I talked about it at the beginning of the show. I think Tibbs showed that, you know, showed last night that maybe he's willing to, you know, adjust with the personnel based on, you know, how things are going. Let's get let's get two more things. Alec Burks, and we talked about it last show, not playing well. He's not playing well. He's he's embarrassing himself out there. I don't know what his problem is. Again, it, you know, give him time, but I don't like it either. I wasn't down on him coming here, but he's making everybody else who was and making them look like geniuses, and it's hard. I always get upset when people, you know, it's like you saw what he was doing. You, you look at his numbers, and you say, well, you know he's going to shoot it, and you know he can create offense. He's not a bad player defensively so why do you think it's a bad acquisition and then he turns out to, to look bad out there and everybody's like I told you so and it's like uh, I don't get it anyway let's do a little doofus chronicles because I had a little situation on Twitter and this drove me crazy right so we talked about the rotation thing being uh, top you know top of mind for a lot of Nick fans going into playoffs a healthy Nick roster but the Mitchell Robinson thing going forward, and, and I hate the fact that you know, too many people are talking about the summer and next season or whatever. You got this season right here in front of you, but let me just give it a minute or two. Hartenstein is a free agent this offseason, and you don't want Hartenstein to go because Hartenstein has played very, very well, right? And he does things that Mitchell Robinson doesn't do. That's the problem. If it was the other way around, I would say, you know what, maybe you should look at, think about moving Mitchell Robinson uh, at the trade deadline because, you know, Hardenstein is super solid and he does things that Mitch can't do. And, you know, we, we talked about this ad you know, I'm not going to keep going on and on and on about it. But Mitch is signed. You can't really let Hardenstein walk. He, he has proven himself too much, right? And this was also a topic for Carmelo and, and uh, Mero and, and their little show that they have, their podcast. You can't have two centers making $15 million. I mean, you can, but you really shouldn't have two centers making $15 million a year. You're right. You shouldn't have it. You need to 
choose one if you're going to have a balanced roster. That doesn't mean that you're giving up on a guy. It doesn't mean that you don't like a guy. It means that if you want to have a balanced roster, not just on the floor, but on accounting-wise, salary-wise, it is unwise to be paying two centers $15 million a year. Enter into that Precious Achua. Again, not really a center, but showing that maybe he can be that guy. Enter Jericho Sims, once again, has his flaws. Not as good as those guys, but still developing every year. Those two options are more economical and maybe, at the end of the day, a more of a net positive. Not because they're better, but because they do other things to make up for where they're not as good, right? Maybe you trade Mitchell Robinson. He has value. It's not, I mean, he's injured, you know, right now, assuming he comes back healthy. He has value, good player, and maybe you can use his salary along with the Bogdanovich salary or to get the player that you're looking for without having to give up some of the other guys that you brought in. I'm not talking about Alec Burks. I'm talking about Dante. I'm talking about Josh Hart. Guys that they really don't want to trade. Mitch contract, Bogdanovich contract, that gets you like thirty over $30 million. You can get the guy you want with those two contracts and draft picks. But if you take this stance that, no, we can't trade Mitch. You're not a real Nick fan if you want to trade Mitch. And I'm not saying they should do it. I'm not saying, you know, just give him away. I'm just saying to call Nick fans sus, which is what someone on Twitter did, for suggesting that you trade Mitchell Robinson and you don't pay two centers $15 million each. It's probably a little ridiculous. And I called somebody. I, I, I said, listen, I don't necessarily think that makes sense. There are, there are reasons why it doesn't make sense to keep Mitchell Robinson. And I got, I got accused of nicksplaining. All right. <laughs> and I was, I was really curious. Like, how do you make a statement like a Nick fan is sus? If they want to trade Mitchell Robinson, if someone challenges the the reality of what it would look like to actually keep Mitchell and Hartenstein. And your response to that is to say that they're nicksplaining you and just dismiss what they're saying out of hand. Like so you're not looking for a debate, you're not looking for a conversation even. You just have your favorite player and you don't want him to go anywhere and you don't really have any leg to stand on as to why you want him to stay making that much money when the Knicks are just as good without him, in theory. In theory. Because you don't really, any, you have a little small sample size, but you won't really know until the playoffs. And if the Knicks fall short in the playoffs, 
They can't bring everybody back? How are they going to get better? Just let Hartenstein walk? I, to me, I think, I think a Knicks fan is more sus if they want Hartenstein to walk than anything else. To be honest with you, it means you really don't appreciate what he's done. It's not an easy decision, but again, it's not a decision they got to make right now. Let's focus on today or tomorrow. This Boston game won't be easy. Probably an L. Shake it off. Don't get bogged down with how the sausage the sausage is made when you lose to the best team in the league and you're missing two starters. At Sports Ethos. At Ethos Knicks. Until next time.